It's time to sit down and relax for the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A with your host, Doug. Hey there, Doug here. This week's interview is with Don Fauntleroy. So Don is a guy that's not in front of the camera. He's behind it. And he started off in the 70s doing some camera work on shows like Newhart and Rhoda and Dukes of Hazard, and then he and then he started doing films. He worked with Spielberg on E.T. a little bit, and then he also worked on Goonies, and then along the way he met his wife, the amazing actress Leslie Ann Down, and then next week's film, Munchie, when I talk to him about it, you don't know when I talk to these people is, you know, what's going to strike a chord in their career, and man, for him, Munchie did, because it was his first opportunity to do director of photography, cinematography, and it holds a special place in his heart. So you hear him kind of light up, you know, audioly through his voice. And then we just talked about him working with Seagal, working with Hasselhoff, because he directed Anaconda 3. No more talking from me. Hear the stories from the man himself. Enjoy Don Fauntleroy. I found you fascinating when I came across you for, for Anaconda uh, because just a lot of the work that you've done. So, where does your story begin? How did I get started in this industry? Yeah, like where'd you grow up? Like what made you? I, I grew I grew up in a place called. Uh, it was actually in the northern part of the valley, San Fernando Valley. It was called uh, Sunland Tahunga. Okay. And my grandfather was a still photographer, and oh, my no father way. was a um, optical cameraman. And they always said, you know, don't go in the industry, don't go in the industry, don't go to school, go to school. And I um, literally never really drew or took pictures or even got involved in any of this until I was in the 11th grade in high school. And I made a uh, short film. I took this course that um, all you had to do, you had to write a script, storyboard it, shoot it, edit it, and deliver it at the end, end of the uh, school year. And so I did this project, and when I picked up the camera, I went, wow, I, I can compose. I, can, I, I saw the world completely differently than what I'd ever seen because all I ever did was play sports. So I took the course again in the 12th grade, and I did a um, documentary short on a school for mongoloid children. And a guy by the name of George Putnam, who at the time was you know the news anchor for Channel 5, he opened his show. He had a, an hour show that he did with my my documentary oh wow and and um then i went i went on to college and in the summer i got a job at my dad's place and i got in the union and i got uh i never went back to school <laughs> that was it <laughs> so i basically started at, at like 19 oh wow is that right on, on imdb it's not always right so you can correct me i know you do that short on your own but it has your first credit as uh Assistant camera on the Bob Newhart show. Yeah, yeah, I did Rhoda, Bob Newhart, Mary Tyler Moore, Lou Grant. Yeah, I didn't. I I, I worked over there at uh, that was um, CBS Studio Center over on uh, Radford in in the Valley, and um, I, I guess that was it was kind of like my home lot for like a year and a half, and then from there I went into to Warner Brothers, and I worked out of their camera department for quite a while. Whenever I wasn't doing a film. Um, you would just go into the department and they'd either send you out to work on a series or, you know, wherever they needed somebody, or you just work in, in the camera department cleaning gear. But then all those camera departments are closed now. None, none of the studios have camera departments. Oh, really? How do they do it now? Well, they still have cameramen, but it's just a different way. 
Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, everybody, it's all independent now. Oh, okay. It, it became, it just became too much. And, and especially as technology started to progress and it was just, it was, became too difficult to keep up and it was better and, and, and less expensive for the studios. And, you know, you, you come in, you do a studio picture, you go to Panavision, just order all your gear out of Panavision. Then they don't have all the, they don't have all the techs in the camera department. They're not taking care of all, all the, all the equipment. They're not, you know, it's, it's just, they started cutting every, every, everybody back. So they ended up closing all the, all the studios had big camera departments. They closed them all down by, I would say, wasn't too long after I did Goonies when Warner Brothers closed down. Oh, wow. And uh, I know Universal was closed before that. And MGM closed before that. So it, I would say they were all closed by the 90s. Yeah, that's a long by, time. By, yeah, yeah. So how was Goonies? Yeah, Goonies was fun. It was great. I had a, I had a really good time. Yeah, my, my wife and I lived out there. Out here in L.A.? No, we lived out in Portland, Oregon. So did you oh, feel right, my location right. when you were out there, that part of it? Yeah, or? Oh, yeah. Awesome. We, were, we were up in... in, in uh, Northern California, and, and we were up in Oregon, and then and then all the like all of the ship stuff was done on uh, stage four at Warner Brothers and the, okay. the big tank stage. They built that ship, and and that's where we did all that, and all all the interiors were done on there's like four stages that we had tied up. But I did that because I wanted to work again with Steven. Steven was directing the uh, Spielberg was directing the second unit, and um, I had worked with him on ET. And, and I always wanted to work with him again. So, so I hooked up with him on that. And then I ended up leaving him because I went on to do North and South where I met my wife. So, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Basically I can say that I left working with Steven Spielberg so I could go and meet my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so what'd you do for ET on ET is not on your IMDb. I was an assistant cameraman. I, would just, I, I just day played on it. You know, I, I guess I probably did about maybe two weeks. Oh, okay. My buddies, my buddies were were the were the camera crew, and they brought me in for extra camera. So that, so then when I do stuff like that, unless I pretty much did the whole picture, the whole project, I don't put it up on IMDb. Yeah, I'm not I'm not one of those guys that uh, you know you work one day on a, on a project and you and you take credit for it. No, no, that's true. No, that's cool. So you could say, yeah, you left Spielberg, you met your wife, and your wife's been in mm-hmm. a lot of stuff too. She has, she has indeed. Were you a fan of hers before, like when, like when you met when her? I saw, yeah, was? when I saw her in Hanover Street, at the end of that movie, I went, I got I to gotta meet this actress. I have to work with this actress. And then I'd seen her, you know, I'd seen her in The Great Train Robbery, and I'd seen her in The Pink Panther Strikes Again. Oh, yeah. And, and um, so when, I, when Stephen Larner, who was the cameraman I did Winds of War with, called me and says he's doing this miniseries, um, I said, God, I got a couple more weeks. I'm working with Spielberg. And he said, I really need you. I really need you. And, and so I finally said, well, who's directing? And he told me, Richard Heffron. I, I, I don't know. I, might, I know of him. I know he does a lot of big miniseries. Um, never worked with him. And I said, well, who's in it? And he said, Patrick Swayze and Les Van Down. So I said, I'll call you back in five minutes. <laughs> and uh, we've been together ever since, coming up on our 33rd uh, wedding anniversary, actually. A couple Congrats. days. Thank you. So another movie that stands, if there's anything else that you remember, like over the years, but one movie that stands out is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yeah, that was fun. That paid for a great Christmas for my kids. I was on that forever. I was on it forever. Oh, really? And of course, I was doing the the second unit. So we were doing 
a good majority of all the stunt work and, and all, all the kind of like that whole chase sequence with the tow truck, um, uh, chasing motorcycle down in yeah. the, down in the riverbed in the, in the wash. We did that. We were on that forever. we I mean, we did the, the helicopter, uh, falling or crashing into the back of the SWAT vehicle. We had to, we had to do that shot three times. Wow. The first two, the first time the helicopter, and there wasn't even a camera rolling and it just fell off the rig before it got anywhere near the, the, um, where, where the action was supposed to take place. The second time, um, it, we were rolling and it came off again and we finally got it on the third, third time. Yeah. James Cameron was interesting. He, uh, we, when we did that, that whole thing down there on that, on the, on that highway down in San Pedro, we had six cameras all set up and he, all of them had, uh, video playback. We would rehearse. We'd video playback on our rehearsals. They'd take all six tapes out, put them in a, fly them in a helicopter to Fontana because they were the first unit was working in the steel steel factory. Oh, okay. And and Cameron would look at all six angles and then he'd call us and change them. Whoa! And how long would you say you're on that? Oh God, I was probably on that four months, four yeah. or five months. I think the longest run I ever had was Winds of War. I was on it for a year and a half. It's a long time. <laughs> yeah yeah but but it was fun i was i was very young and i got to travel all over the world so, oh, that's awesome. so it, was a, it was a great experience and i got to hang out with robert mitchum a lot which i really enjoyed because he, he had so many stories it was uh just every day there was a new story that's great so then then you made the transition so cameraman kind of like speaks for itself that some of the stuff that you did because i don't know and i'm sure people listening don't know what what is exactly what a cinematographer does uh, well, you're, you're the head of the crew. Okay. You are, you're the second man in command. Only you're the, the, you're, you know, the director's the, the, the he's in, in command. And then, and once, once the director and the actors have, then you blocked and you've set everything up, then, then the cameraman becomes the chief and he starts lighting the set. You know, you, you start at the back of the set and, see where, where your, your light sources come from and you work your way up towards where the camera is and where the scene's going to take place. And then after you got the set lit, you light the people and that's, you know, that's it. But you got your, you got your right hand man as your gaffer, your left hand man is your key grip. And then the, your assistant camera is super important. Every, everybody on the crew is super, super important. Oh, yeah. and, and, and most of the time I, I feel that, especially nowadays, now that, um, the, they they keep wanting us to work longer hours for less money, unless you're doing big A-list uh, studio pictures. Um, I feel that the crews are really being taken for granted. I've, uh, you know, fortunately they they really pulled back on the long hours. But there was a period where we'd work. I remember on Vegas that television series one time. I worked a was a 31 hour day. Wow. We had to finish because we were breaking for either Christmas or Thanksgiving. And uh, we had to f- finish that ep- episode and we worked 31 straight hours. It was ridiculous. Do you hit like a certain amount of hours and you get overtime or no? Oh, yeah. You get uh, time and a half after eight and you get double time after 12. So, uh, and then, then, then you get meal penalties if they don't break you every six hours. And I mean, you, you make good money, but it ain't worth it. Oh, yeah. Well, you're not. Yeah, no, I get it. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. 
So here's one. So there's a bunch of credits that you did the cinematography for that I, that really just like jump out at me. So the one that I a movie I've never heard of, and when I clicked on it, I did some research on it. There was like an original movie that was like kind of a knockoff of, uh, Gre- uh, it was like a Gremlins knockoff, but then they like rebranded it. The movie Munchie. Yeah, Munchie and Munchie Strikes Back. Yeah, that was one of my, Munchie was one of one of the first films I did. I had done. I'd been working with a cameraman, a cinematographer by the name of Thomas Burston out of Canada. Um, a real nice guy. He really, I, I learned an awful lot from him. He worked the English method, which I really enjoyed, which is all he does is light, and he lets his camera operator work with the director and do all the blocking and set up, you know, set up the camera, the move, or, or whatever, you know, however the blocking is, is, is done. And... Um, Anyways, we, we had done a, a TV movie. In fact, a TV movie that my wife starred in with uh, Robert Urich. And a producer came and he had a, an after-school special that he was, he was going to produce and direct. And he asked me, he said, would, would you like to shoot it? And I said, oh, I'd love to, because it was basically the, really my first credit as a cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, first, you know, like a camera. I'd, I'd done a bunch of second units and stuff like that. But, um, so I went, uh, I went off and did the frog girl with, with him. And the whole thing takes place basically in the school about a girl who refuses to dissect a frog. And she actually got the law changed. She took it all the way to the Supreme court and they changed the law saying that if a child does not want to dissect a frog, a real frog, they can work on this, um, they had what's it what's it, what, 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 what it called like um, a replica oh, okay. a plastic replica of a frog that had all of all the parts and stuff in it yeah and they could they could they could do it that way and still get the credit because it was it was one of the it was at a time when <clears throat> they were you had to do this particular course in order to pass your science class so that particular thing showed on an after school special uh for cbs and Jim Wynorski, who's uh, is a famous in his own right, <laughs> you know, um, he saw it because Munchie takes place. There's a lot of kids in it. it takes place in a school, and uh, he saw it. And he calls me up, and uh, I mean, I, I I couldn't believe this. And he says, "What are you doing?" I said, "Nothing." I, I didn't even know the guy. <laughs> I, I knew his name, but any and, and I knew he worked for Corman, which I had never really heard of Corman. And because uh, I, all I ever did was big union uh, pictures, he calls me up and says, what are you doing? I said, oh, nothing. He says, uh, you want to do a movie with me? And I said, sure. I said, I said, I said do you, you want to meet me? He said, no, no, just show up on Monday. <laughs> I swear to God, <laughs> that's how I got the job. And it was Munchie. And you had, what's her name was in it? Jennifer Love Hewitt was in it. And, um, God, she was only like 12 at the time. Oh, yeah. And uh, Tom yeah, Dowie is cute... the voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a cute little film. I mean, we did it for like, I think it was 900000 And oh, it, made wow. a ton, it made a ton of money. And then they did the sequel to it. Was Dom Dowie's ever on set for any of that? Uh, no. Oh. No, all that, all, that was, all that was done in the uh, sound studio. But I know Dom. I mean, I'm, I met Dom. He, oh, wow. uh he, um, we used to go over to Gene Simmons' house, and he was him and his wife were very good friends with Gene, and we go over there a couple, three times a year, and there was, she would always have a little, you know, outdoor 
afternoon, Sunday afternoon brunch. We get together. He's a funny guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, mean, he was, I, he I was couldn't imagine. You know, it's funny. I can't. I can't imagine two people. I, Gene Simmons is a nice guy from like the no, show. No, Gene, Gene Simmons, the actress. Oh, okay. I think about Gene Simmons and Kiss. I'm like, I can't imagine him and Dom DeLuise hanging out. No, no, no. Gene Simmons. She was married to um, Brooks, Albert Brooks. Not oh, Albert okay. Which I, do. Oh, God, I can't remember. Anyways, um, yeah, she was in North and South. I worked with her on North and South. I said, I worked. That's where I worked with her first. Leslie had, had worked with her prior. She English actress. She was her and Elizabeth Taylor were the two English actresses at that oh, okay. time when they, when they broke out that were like who they wanted to go after all the time. She was in. Um, Oh, what was that thing called? With Sir Lawrence Olivier, uh, that all the women watch. God, I'm John Blanks. Whatever. It might come back to me. That's <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you get old. <laughs> Weathering Heights. She was she starred in Weathering Heights. With, oh, okay. And her sister was um, Olivia de Havilland. Anyways, just some trivia. That's good. No, that's good. I should look those up. No, I have Gene Simmons up right now. Yeah, it was Richard Brooks. Richard Brooks. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Richard Brooks. She was married to him for a long time. In fact, I think that's the only person that she ever really married. Oh, okay. She married anybody else after. I know after he passed away, she didn't remarry. But, um, sweet, sweet lady. She she passed away about five, six years ago, seven oh, years wow. ago. But really, really nice lady. That's cool. Yeah. So especially be able to hang out with her and Dom DeLuise. That's Really yeah, great, it's a great experience. Glennis, Glennis, Johns, the mom from Mary Poppins. Oh yeah, yeah. She she would she's a hoot. <laughs> some of the stuff that come out of her mouth, I would just I would just go, "Are you kidding me?" Oh yeah, because you see, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we've been we we've had uh, this this industry's been very very good to us, very good to both Leslie and I. I mean, when when I because I did. Um, three films with Peter Himes as his assistant cameraman. He was the director and writer of Hanover Street, and I used to talk to him constantly about Leslie. You know, what was she like, and this and that. And he he used to kind of badmouth her, but then I found out why because he was trying to get in her pants, and uh, she didn't have anything to do with him. So, and then and then of course I did like fourteen films with Blake Edwards, and uh, I used to talk to Blake about you know, and Blake adored her. He just absolutely adored her. And then when we moved out to Malibu, uh, Blake and Julie actually came to our wedding. We used to go once a month to Blake and Julie's house, and he would screen movies. And there would always be, you know, like 10, 12 people. Everybody's in the industry. And it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. No, I bet. So, so you did a lot of cinematography, but the one movie that... I wonder from your point of view, from all the movies, because you did like, like you said, Munchie, Munchie Strikes Back, Skateboard Kid. And then you have a movie like Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. That movie was so awesome. And I don't know why you're making a movie like that. I've talked to a bunch of people and I always ask them like, when you're making a movie, do you know how good it's going to be or how it's going to be received by the public? Um, No, no, but, but, you know, Victor is a very, very talented director and writer. And um, he had storyboarded every shot in Jeepers Creepers. In fact, his storyboards, which I still have all, all, all the storyboards from all three Jeepers, um, I mean, they could be released as comic books. They are, uh, the storyboards are unbelievable, oh, especially wow. the ones from Jeepers 3. I mean, they're in color. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> um, 
But I knew that we had something special because I had a lot of faith in Victor. I'd done, I'd, I'd done a couple of projects with him. And, I mean, he's just a very talented storyteller. So as I'm watching, as I'm doing the storyboards, and we're out looking at locations and, we're, and, and, and stuff, and Victor and I are talking, and I mean, we can work together without even having to communicate with each other. I mean, we just, I just look at the storyboards, I look at him, and I know exactly what he wants. And um, uh, he, I, I knew we had something special. I didn't know it was going to be as special as it was. I mean, when it came out, unfortunately, it came out right right around 9-11. And uh, so it was out for, I don't know, I think it was out for like two weeks. And they pulled it because, you know, people after 9-11... Who's going to go in and start watching horror films? Oh, yeah, that's and, true. Yeah. Uh, but it did make like thirty-six million dollars on the first, like the first weekend, and then then we did the second one, and we did that one. Jeepers one we did for uh, about nine million. The second one we did for seventeen, and um, you know that one did the same thing. It it because both of them set a Labor Day weekend um, box office, so. Uh, then the second one beat out the first one. And um, I like the uh, cinematography wise. I like the second one better than the first one. Story wise. I like the first one better than the second one. Yeah. But on the second one, I had so many toys. I mean, I had 75 electricians, uh, that whole road that I lit up that, that, you know, the bus where the bus yeah, breaks yeah. down that, uh, that took me, that took me a week and a half to light. I had 15, 225 foot cranes that all had three super dinos on, on each crane, which is a super dino is it's, 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 um, 36, 30, 36 lights on each, on each light. So there was, there was three of those on each crane and then there was a 1500 amp generator below powering. You needed, you needed that much power to power the three super dinos. And I'm, and I, and I've mathematically figured it out. Actually, Bobby Driscoll, was the one that, that really helped me because we did the same thing on the first one for the night stuff, but we only did about a half a mile of road. Well, this time I did a little over a mile and, and the, the formula worked out where you want to be 400 yards from, from the road. And, and then every eighth of a mile, you put a crane and, and if right at the middle of the road, uh, rating your, 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 uh, your ASA at 400, you get a, a dead two eight which is where I wanted to be, especially on, on the second one, because I shot the second one, Anamorphic, and Panavision and Dan Sasaki and those guys retooled the Anamorphic lenses so they, they would perform at 2.8. Before, you used to have to be up between 4 and uh, five, six, four, four and a half. So they retooled all these Anamorphic lenses for me. And, um, yeah, I had so much fun on Jeepers, too. Was, <laughs> I bet, especially... We shot... We shot, we shot all that night work, because we shot it during the, the time of year where there was, uh, there was only eight hours of night. We, we would go in at five o'clock and we'd, we'd start shooting as soon as it got dark and we would shoot. We'd never break for a meal. We'd shoot um, until I, I would say, I can't shoot anymore. It's too late. The sun's come up. It's, it's, I, I, you know, we got to go home. And they just kept, they kept food out all the time. <laughs> oh, my God. We did that for, I think it was eight weeks. We did that up there and up in Fort Tahoe on the top of the grapevine. Oh, wow. Now, was that the biggest budget that you had? 
like when you were in the cinematography position, like having a, the ability to get all these things that you need it. Yeah, that was, that was, that was the largest budget. I, you know, I honestly think had I not trans, you know, transferred into gar or moved into the director's chair, I would have ended up doing much bigger studio pictures. Oh, but yeah? When I started transferring into the director's chair, I was always, you know, I'd, uh, things would come up and I'd say, ah, oh, but I got this chance to direct this. So I'm going to go with that. And, and I turned down some pretty big pictures as a cinematographer because I wanted to direct. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What made you want to direct? Is it just something you've always wanted to do or just have, being first, first on set? Um... I don't know. Uh, I I can't. That's a tough one to answer. I just like I like being a filmmaker. Yeah. I like I, I just love making movies and I love being on film sets and 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 I also like being in charge. I mean, and you know, being a cinematographer, you are in charge. But you know, most of the directors that I worked with work with don't know anything they uh, how they got into it well usually they, they wrote the script or whatever or somebody's mentoring them but but they 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 really don't understand how to tell a narrative story and and i got i would get frustrated because i was constantly being hired as a cinematographer to hold some young director's hand and i'd be going this is ridiculous i mean i go in for interviews and they'd be asking me questions and i'm going are you kidding me <laughs> You're asking me that. Why? Why would you ask me that question? I mean, and and it's not like they're they're trying to pick my brain, but it's and then I go to them and I and I'd say, okay, so what is it you're looking for? Most of them can't give you an answer. You know, they want to sit there and look through 27 reels and find somewhere on some cinematographer's reel uh, a scene or a shot that looks like what they think they want their film to look like. So, so I got to the point where I was I just got frustrated. So, um, when, when, when it was offered to me, I took it. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll direct and shoot. And, and then it worked out real well. And you know, I ended up getting more and more. And then I ended up doing those five Seagal movies and, you know, I just like making films. Oh yeah. But I like both jobs. I like, I like, I like both hats. Oh, okay. Good. You know? So I have here the first movie that you did. It was Young Hearts Unlimited, directing wise. Yep. How was it? I know you worked. Well, actually, wife actually, the very first, the very first movie I directed was um, Saving Grace. Oh, okay. That was the very first movie I directed. I got a phone call from a friend of mine, Tracy Langen, who was uh, I um, worked for Panavision, and he said, "Ah, <laughs> this young girl came in. She's got this project. She wants to do this. This." Uh, this comedy she's looking for a director and I said, Oh, okay. You know, so he made the introduction. I met her and, uh, and I, I read the script and I go, what do you, this is, this is, this is like a pilot for a sitcom. I, I said, you know, your waist, it was like only 60 pages long. So needless to say, and she said she had all the money. 
needless to say, she didn't have all the money. We had to rewrite the script. Uh, she she was a stand-up comedian. She was going to play. There was like 60 roles in it, and she was going to play all 60 roles. Wow. We changed all that. Yeah. We ended up, uh, you know, setting it in a in a well, actually, it was a biker bar that we converted and dressed into a um, into an Italian restaurant, and uh, and we ended up. We had Olivia Hussey in it. My wife was in it. Stephanie Beecham was in it. Gavin, I can't remember Gavin's last name. He was in uh, Braveheart, um, you know. And so that was the first thing that I that I directed. We did, it, and we literally did it. I brought I brought in every favor that I could I could pull. I had my crew come in, um, and we did it basically for like sixty grand. And it turned out it's cute. It's cute. So that was the first one. And then right after that, I got Young Hearts. Okay. How is it working with your wife? Love it. You love it? That's awesome. Oh, yeah. No, we, 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 we've done like 20 films together. That's so much fun. And that movie had a bunch of people in it, which is pretty cool. Corbin Burns. Yeah. Who I've interviewed people that worked with him and had great stories about him. Mm-hmm. Corbin? Yeah, Corbin's a good guy. Yeah. He's a good guy. So I have to ask, since you mentioned it, uh, so you directed five Seagal films. How is it working with Seagal? Well, um, you know, he's Steven Seagal. He's yeah. an icon. And, um, you know, I had some rather very wonderful times and then there were some times that were a bit difficult, but, you know, when you're working with somebody that one time was the biggest box office star in the world and was on top for about four or five years, I mean, bigger than Clint, bigger than Burt Reynolds, bigger, you know, when he got up there and he never had to pay his dues. Um, you know, I mean, his first film made like $60 million and they made it for 900,000. Wow. And, uh, and then of course the next one was, um, the one where he's on the Navy, Navy ship, it made over a hundred million. I mean, it's under siege. Yeah. Under siege. Yeah. It made over a hundred million. I mean, and he never came up through the ranks. I mean, he was, he was, he was a dojo guy and, and, uh, yeah, he put up, put on a, um, a show at the, on a Warner brothers lot. And, you know, they financed his first film and, and, and I mean, he just skyrocketed. So he unfortunately had never been humbled. And because he became his own worst enemy, that's what I think hurt his, really hurt his career. I mean, when I first started working with Steven, uh, I probably shouldn't start throwing numbers around it, you know, but he was making a lot of money and, and now he, now because of everything in the Me Too movement, he can't he can't get arrested. You know, it's 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 really that the Me Too movement has hurt a lot of careers. I will say that. But Stephen, you know, I remember the very first film. We were we were in Japan, and uh, we were working on stage. And I was in the middle of this scene. We had we had to turn around. I'd, I'd, we'd done the master, and we'd done the coverage going one direction. We had to turn around to go the other direction. And all of a sudden, the AD comes to me and says, "Steven's on his way to set. We got to go over and light his scene." I said, "But we got to finish this scene." Oh no 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 no! We got to light his scene. <laughs> and this was my first experience working with the man. Yeah. And so I'm going. This doesn't seem very efficient. But anyway, so they take me over there, and I say, "Well, can we have a rehearsal? Steven's going to sit right there." I said, "Okay." Can I just 
see a blocking of some sort so I can see, you know, how I'm going to organize this and light the set and then light the scene and see what's going on. Steven's going to sit there. What we want you to do is light him and his close-up. We'll shoot all his stuff. He'll go home. We'll go back to the other set. We'll turn around and finish that scene. Then we'll come back and shoot a master and all the coverage going the other direction of of Steven's scene. And I said, but Steven's not going to be there for the master if you let him go home we'll use the the body double and that's what it was like Whoa. i mean it was you know but that's people if, if he could get away with it and he was getting away with it that's you know he only wanted to be on a set three four hours a day if that and then then i did a thing they called me and uh, avi and danny Lerner, and they asked me to fly to um sophia Stephen was doing a project called Submerged over there, and they wanted me to take Today You Die, the script, to him and convince him to do it. And, okay, so I go over there, and I'm there five days, and the first four days I never even see him. (laughs) I finally get a meeting with him. He agrees to do it. I get on a plane. I fly home. I literally get out of the car that brought me home from the airport, put my dog's leashes on and I'm walking my dogs heading down to the beach and the phone rings and it's Steven. And he says to me, he says, Don, Don, you got to come back. He said, I just fired the director and the cameraman. I will not work with these guys. You got to come back. I said, Steven, I I just got home. Literally just got home. No, no. Next day I'm on a plane going back to Sophia and I only, I'm only going to direct Steven's scenes light and direct Steven. That's all I'm doing. Everything else is being done by the, by the other cameraman and the other director. So I have a meeting with the director. I have a meeting with the cameraman, making certain I keep everything, you know, so, so it's not going to, when it cuts together, it looks, looks like it's, it's, it's all been done by one person. And so the first day I go in to work and literally it's a close up of Steven in a car. And I light it and I shoot it and Steven goes home. So I go home. And I mean, I was on the set maybe an hour. <laughs> and then Steven goes back to the States for two weeks because he, he had two weeks off. So I go to Greece and hang out. And then I come back. <laughs> I come back when Steven comes back. I guarantee you on that particular project, and they paid me a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money to do this. I guarantee you, I was not on that set 20 hours. And I only lit and directed Steven. And, and obviously he liked you enough because you worked with each other a bunch. We did five. Um, and, then, and then when we did Urban Justice, and I tried to warn him. Um, unfortunately, the studio kind of threw me under the bus. But they, they wrote this script, and it wasn't a buddy script. And... Because all his stuff are, are buddy scripts, so that so that you, you got things to shoot around him. Yeah. So so it had 119 scenes in it, and he was in 109. Uh, and I said, Stephen, I said you're going to have to be on the set on this one. There, there, there's no two ways about it. You ha- you're going there's a, you got a lot of work, a lot of dialogue. And, well, anyways, push came to shove. He was being forced to work eight hours, nine hours a day, which, which, you know, I mean, I I would like to only work nine hours a day, but, um, but he got upset. There was two days where he refused to come to work. Um, one day it had snowed 
and and the, their people were saying there was black ice on the on the roads. We were in New Mexico, and um, but the whole crew and I and everybody's at the at the set, and we had shot at this particular location. This was our fourth day of shooting, and I had shot everything I could possibly shoot without having Steven. And I had to have him. And he just refused. He said, he said, my drivers say it's too dangerous. And, and he hangs up. And, and so then Phil, his manager calls me and says, Steven's not going to come in. I said, Phil, I, we're just going to lose a whole day of shooting. I mean, you know, uh, who was also one of the producers. Then his lawyer calls me and then Steven calls me and says, um, all my drivers quit. I can't get to work. I said, Steven, I'll drive back to town. Personally, I'll pick you up and I'll bring you out. I said, if you can give me four hours, I can get everything that I need and I can finish the sequence up and we can, you know, get out of this location. He refused. And there was another day where he didn't like, he didn't like the actress that was playing his wife and he didn't want to work with her. So, so he refused to do this walk and talk that we had set up. And I said, okay, well, let's just do a phone conversation. And so I shot her on a phone conversation and I was going to shoot him on a phone conversation on, on another day, which he refused to do, but I, I made it work anyways. So that was two days out of uh, and it was a 20 day shoot that he didn't come in. So the last day of shooting, which was all done on stage where we had all the action where the, uh, the gangsters, the gang, the gang members were, were breaking into, into his, uh, his um, hotel, and I mean, is we they the the amount of bullet hits and blood and just everything that we had to rig. I mean, they had they've been building this set for for almost three weeks, and we had to we completely obliterated it. And um, the problem was when I looked at the call sheet, which was the last day of shooting, I had twenty two pages to shoot, all with Stephen. He wasn't happy. But he didn't come to work for two days. You know, you can't you, you can't do that. So I had it was it was so anyways, about hour 13, he, he's just saying, I got to go home. I can't take it anymore. And of course, they're not going to add another day. You know, we got to finish it. So uh, anyway, I fell out. I fell out of good graces because of that. Because yeah. of Urban justice, because he worked. But of all his films in the last <clears throat> See, we did Urban Justice in 06. So in the last 15 years, that's got the best reviews of any film that he's done. That had a pretty good cast. Yeah. Yeah, Danny, Danny was- Trejo, Eddie Griffin, a, a lady that I'm actually interviewing in a few weeks, Carmen Serrano. Yeah, Carmen's great. I like Carmen. Yeah. He hated Carmen. He made <laughs> her cry three times. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was, he, he was very mean to her. Oh. You know, it's funny, like... I. I, I never talk. I've never heard anything bad about anybody that I've talked to. But it's funny. I interviewed William Sadler, and we talked about Hard to Kill, and he mm-hmm. told me stories about Stephen from that. One of the stories was the director. Uh, I don't know if you know him or not, but Bruce Malmuth. Mm-hmm. He directed that movie, and towards the end, uh, William Sadler said it was kind of weird because they weren't talking on set. Him and Stephen. So like somebody had to tell like Bruce had to tell someone to tell Steven something. So at the end of the movie, they had to reshoot and they couldn't figure it out. So William came uh, up with an idea for it. And he goes, Bruce was like, Oh, that's a great idea. You know what? Could you pitch it to uh, Steven? So like, so Bill Sadler's like, I go to his trailer and I pitch him this idea. 
And then, and then William Sadler, who's kind of a, he's a pretty funny guy. He like did like a Seagal impression. And then I talked to my, Michael Grace, who wrote Mark for Death, and he told me some stories about him too that that he tried to submit a script that was the same as the script that Michael Grace already wrote. Yeah, I'm not surprised. That's crazy. There was a but lot he, of that going on back then, though. Where yeah. guys would take 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 a script that another writer's written, and then they'll they'll go in and and they would they would just change some dialogue in it and slam their name on it. Paul Hogan is famous for doing that uh, for mm-hmm. Krakow Dundee three. He tried to do that. He went in there and just like you said, he really just used like a thesaurus and just changed words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, John you know, John Gray, the director who did Glimmer Man with yeah. uh, with um, Stephen. I, I I did uh, Helter Skelter with him, and I did um, uh, what was that Jennifer Love Hewitt series that they, he. He created. I did. I did some of the, some of the episodes of, of the that ghost. Story. Ghost. The whisper? ghost story. Yeah. The ghost. The ghost whisper. Oh, okay. And, and um, Stephen didn't talk to him either. <laughs> no, they just by by the time they were about halfway through through the schedule, and the, all communication had stopped, and basically it was being sent through other people. That'd be a hell of a, like Netflix documentary or like uh, HBO. Just like yeah. a, like a Steven Seagal support group where all these directors and actors have worked with him and just had these experiences. <laughs> Talk about him. But uh, so one movie that I, in the first email I sent you like many moons ago now was uh, Anaconda 3. And then you did Anacondas after that. I did Anaconda 3 and 4. I, I was um, Phil Goldfine. He picked up the franchise. Um, this is, you know, well, this is back when... At a time when the studios uh, were were utilizing big films and and then basically doing sequels that went direct to video, yeah. um, and the reason they were doing them was was because that they already had a complete following. They had you know there was they can didn't have to do a big P and A campaign. So so I was doing a project in New York. Um, and Phil calls me and says, who I'd done, oh, I don't know, I've probably done eight or nine films with him by this time. Um, he calls me up and he says, I got the, 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 the sequels, uh, Anacondas. I really, really need you to do them. And so I said, okay, well, send me the scripts. And I, I read the scripts and the scripts were written by the kid that he had hired to answer his phones out in his outer office, who he paid nothing to. So, <laughs> so, um, I'm going, Ooh, you know, these scripts need some work. Uh, so anyways, I ended up doing that, those two as a favor to Phil. I went over there, we did them back to back. We did, we did, uh, Anaconda three and then we had, uh, the weekend off and I started Anaconda four. Some interesting things. I mean, like on, on, uh, Anaconda four, I think it was, was it? yeah, it was Anaconda four. And then, we were working in Bulgaria at uh, Castel Studios, and so I was using all their crew. And the crew actually said that I was pushing them and working them too hard. And I said, how come would you guys be working too hard? You're usually working with directors that come over here, and you're working like 16, 18-hour days. We were doing an 11-hour day, and that included an hour for lunch. So actual shooting time, we were probably only – putting in nine hours of shooting and, and, uh, 
but you know, I was getting 75 to a hundred setups and then I was using multiple cameras and yes, I would push hard, you know, but I wanted to get the day's work done. I'd come in with my shot list and you know, we'd work. So anyways, <clears throat> we were getting ready to do the cave in um, and this is on Anaconda four and I'm waiting for special defects. And they say, yeah, about a half hour, about a half hour. So we're down in this cave and on stage and, uh, I've shot everything. I'm, I'm done. I, I, I now have to have, I'm at the point where the, we got a cave. We got to do, do the stunt. So they can't, they're having problems. They're having problems. They're having problems. Hour 12 comes up and the producers come to me and they say, well, we're going to let you go 14 hours. I said, Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> you know? So, so, uh, Finally, I get the set, and it was like, you know, it was well after 13 hours. And I say, okay, bring the camera, bring the camera over here, bring the camera. And the AD comes up to me, and he says, you don't have a camera. I said, what do you mean I don't have a camera? And this is this assistant cameraman who's just, this guy was friggin' lazy. So so I said, where, where is the camera? I, I was an assistant cameraman for 17 years. I'll set it up. Just tell me where it is. He says, um, well, the assistant cameraman says he was physically and mentally exhausted, so he took the camera and the lenses and went home. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> I walked over and I sat in my chair, and all this yelling and screaming's going on, and the producers are just, they're, they're into it, and they're trying to figure trying to run this kid down. And so they finally get him, and they get the camera back, back from him. They go drive out and get the camera back. But when they bring it in the stage, because I, you know, of all the lights and everything, and it was freezing cold outside, and he had left everything in his car, everything sweated up. Just, just like, you know, it was like being in a sauna. So we ended up not getting a shot. <laughs> and so we had to come back the next day. And of course, I fired the assistant cameraman. Actually, I wouldn't even talk to him. I, I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was so shocked. But um, yeah, yeah, that was, that was one of the experiences over there. The other, the other one was I asked for a dance floor, and this was in this was in the first Anaconda, Anaconda Three, a scene that takes place around the bed, and I wanted to do a dolly move around this bed and then over to the window, and uh, so I asked for a dance floor, and, and I look up, <laughs> and the grips are bringing in pergo flooring. Well, what the? I said I, I said I don't need a living room floor. I just need a few sheets of plywood and, and some masonite over it. <laughs> they spent two and a half hours putting down this floor. I did my one shot and I never saw the floor again. Oh my God. <laughs> I think somebody wanted pergo flooring for their living room. Yeah. They just wanted to take it back. Yeah. I talked to Crystal Allen who said uh, that was a really fun for her. She had a great time on the shoot and she yeah. had the same kind yeah. of story. Like she said, after the third one, I get home and it was maybe like a few days and I got a phone call to go right back. Yeah. It was it, it, it was a pretty hard haul, um, but the, I mean the the, hard, the hardest thing about it was I didn't get the second script until like three days before we started shooting is when I got the second script. They were supposed to the rewrite and everything that was that was being done, and and so it didn't leave for a lot of prep time. But um, you know, we we pulled it off. We pulled it off. It was fun working with Hasselhoff. I know, I bet. I really enjoyed working with him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Crystal, Crystal was great. Yeah, she is really cool. She had a cool story about, because her and David were pretty nice on set, and she invited him over for like a screening at her house for 
the third one, like she had a copy of it and like he said mm-hmm. he wasn't going to show up and her and her friends are sitting around and then I know where the doorbell rings and it's like David Hasselhoff at her place. Yeah. Pretty cool. I was walking, I was walking through the lobby of the Hilton hotel and, and Sophia with David where we'd, we'd come, we'd come back from uh, lunch and, and there was a wedding going on. <laughs> I couldn't believe this. He looks in there and then, you know, the reception's going, I said, oh, hell, these people want David Hasselhoff to sing at their wedding. And he went in, he went in there, got up on stage, took the mic and sang two songs. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. But then he just came out and, you know, it was all done. And everybody's around him getting autographs. And yeah. When I was in Japan with Seagal, we were, we were shooting in a pachinga parlor. And uh, Seagal drives up. I swear to God, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. He gets out of the car. And I swear, within one minute, there must have been 4,000 Japanese people around him with phones, taking pictures. I mean, it, w- it was like we were completely mobbed. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. The, the man, he would walk into a room. His presence is unbelievable. I spoke to him. I said, Stephen, you should start doing stuff like the old spaghetti westerns that Clint Eastwood used to do. Don't say anything. Do it all with looks. Minimal dialogue. And uh, his presence is unbelievable. He, his movies must kill over there. They're huge, huge. Yeah. He's huge in Asia. That's crazy. And that doesn't help his ego. When he gets no. out of a car and 5,000 people are running up to him. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, Don, so what are some things that you're working on right now? I just finished a, a Hallmark Christmas, little Christmas movie, a uh, movie called A Ring for Christmas. Oh, awesome. I had... Uh, Michael Gross was in it, and Lorraine I love Brackoff. Him. Yeah, Michael's a great guy. I've worked with him a few times. You got to think, he, he like growing up, like watching. Oh man, I can't even think. Of, Alex, he was Mr. Keaton when you're growing up, yep. and then he's in Tremors. He just has yep. all these cool, iconic roles. Yeah, he works. He works a lot. Yeah, he works a lot, and he and he loves what he does. He loves what he does. But so I just finished. I just finished that, and I literally just delivered my cut. So um, we're. We're uh, basically now in in uh, finishing up the mix and um, and the color timing, and then uh, we deliver it, and then I'm off to the next one. I'm going to do. I got two projects that I want to do. One is called uh, Sting of the Twin Serpents, which is a uh, martial arts project, and the other one is a horror film called Trippy, which oh, wow. is about a little ventriloquist doll. That's creepy. Yeah, it's it's pretty intense, and then and it's 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 a great script. I mean, it's so politically incorrect, but <laughs> but um, it's it's going to be it's going to have people. It's going to scare a lot of people. Awesome. Is there a genre, is there a particular genre that you that you enjoy directing more in? Um, not really. I I, I like I say I, I I just love making films. I I love being on a film set and is there any one particular genre that stands out more than the other? No, I can't, I can't, I can't say that there is. I mean, I, I love doing comedies. I love doing romantic, uh, romantic films, oh, cool. romance films. Um, I like doing horror films. I mean, you know, some, I would, I would actually say my most favorite films are action films. I would say that that's, that's my uh, favorite genre. Because, you know, it's, it's like you almost get to be a kid, like playing Army. 
Yeah, no, that's true. And you get to like put it all together and you get to watch it, everything unfold. Mm-hmm. So are you, you know what you should do? I don't know. Do you ever write at all? No, I've tried. I mean, I, I've, I've like done, done some rewrites on scenes and stuff like that, but I've never written a, a full script. I don't, I don't have the patience to lock myself up inside <laughs> for that, that amount of time. I am. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm always on the go. I'm always I'm more of an outside outdoor type person. Okay, no, I was just saying like a perfect like Hallmark type kind of movie would be like the way you met your wife, and it seems like you like those romantic romantic movies. But like, cameraman approaches you know big time actress, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I remember four days four days into our relationship, she looked at me and she said, "Don't fall in love with me. I'm trouble." <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Are, you, are you guys going to work together? Any? What, what was the last time you worked together? Um, we did a project. Was it last year? Oh, did, cool. Uh, it was last year we did a uh, we did a, another Christmas movie for the Ion Channel. Oh, okay. And she played she played the mom in that, and uh, and then when I was doing Jeepers Three, she was I was supposed to do um, a little thriller, but Jeepers Three kind of got messed up and they kept postponing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And we had to work on that together, that, that little thriller, but, um, that overlapped because Jeepers pushed so much. I mean, they pushed like five weeks. Oh, wow. So, so it, it overlapped onto that other little thriller. So we didn't, we weren't able to work together on that one, but, uh, we got some stuff coming up in the future. She'll, I want her to play this, um, this old hippie and trippy. Oh, cool. There's, just, there's this one character that's just an, an old, you know, a 60-year-old hippie, 65-year-old hippie, and, and a woman who who's friends with the with the little doll. <laughs> it's a, it's a, she'll have fun playing the character. It's a, it's a great, it's a great role. It's a great character. That's cool. Yeah. And one, one last question before I let you go. And this has been great. I, I love being able to talk to you. Well, like I knew it was going to be great to talk to you anyway. It's not like I know you but you just seem like a really likable guy, like through pictures, if that makes any sense. But uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I was going to say over the years, was there any time? Cause it seems like you've worked with so many people, you know, with your wife or, you know, was there any time you were ever like awestruck on set? Was it like Newhart, like seeing Bob Newhart for the, like right in front of you? Um, yeah. When you're, when you're young and you're first going on a, on a, on a film set. Yes. It, 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 it takes, a little bit of time to, to get your feet grounded and realize, Hey, you know, this is a job. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember on the, on the Bob Newhart show that I was, there was it's a multi-camera show. So there was three cameras and you had seven magazines for each camera and, and you would load, so you'd load your 21 magazines up. And then uh, every reload, whenever they'd reload, you'd run out and you know give give the assistant, the first assistant cameraman, take his magazine that had been shot and give him another magazine. We were working on BNCRs, with massive cameras, and um, and then at the end of the day, we would uh, you know you would download all all twenty one thousand feet. <laughs> I remember I was because uh, we always shot on a Friday. And by the time I would finish, it would usually be, you know, one, one thirty in the morning. And then I'd take all the, all the stuff over to the camera department. So I get out out about two. Well, I was getting ready. We were going to go water skiing. And so I was rushing 
Oh my God. I was, I, I, I mean, I must've been about, I think I was like 20 years old and I was rushing and all of a sudden I'm in the dark room and I turn the light on and I look at my hand and there's a thousand foot roll of film, exposed film in my hand. I turn oh. the light off and I go, oh, what? And I, and I bag it up and I go, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? God, I can't tell anybody. I can't tell anybody. And I remember, so I ended up going to the river. My whole weekend was ruined, ruined worrying about had I damaged this film, had I flashed this film. Well, needless to say, I finally told uh, Jim Spade, who was the head of the camera department, on Monday what had happened. And he instantly called the lab. And it's amazing, but that film it was wrapped so tight on the take-up side that nothing even went past the perforation holes. Oh, wow. It was, I mean, <laughs> the film was fine. Nothing happened. But, uh, I mean, I, I thought my career was over. Yeah. I mean, I'm done. <laughs> but uh, I guess, you know, it happens. It, yeah. Things like, that, things like that happen. It taught me a lesson. Don't rush. Yeah. Especially in a dark room. <laughs> of course, nowadays, you don't have a dark room. But do you like it more nowadays that it is a little bit simpler? Or do you like the old, like the old school method? Uh, I, I prefer film. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this modern technology and all these digital cameras, it's, it's, uh, I think it's taken a lot away from filmmaking and, 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 and learning the process and coming up through the ranks. I mean, I came up through the ranks. I was an assistant cameraman for, I don't know, 15 years and I operated for like seven. And, you know, I mean, I've been in the industry going on, I think it's like 46 years. And, um, what what this allows is they can sit there and see see their image on on a little television screen or whatever monitor they have and you know they don't spend time being a second assistant cameraman or a film loader or a second assistant cameraman a, a first assistant an operator they they come out of school they want to be dps you know you start talking to them about exposure and film exposure and, and how you're going to do this and, and how much latitude you have. They just look at you with, with a blank look on their face. <laughs> they have no idea what you're talking about. I, I just, you know, I think that, and the only way you can learn this, this industry is you got to be in the trenches. You got to, you, you, you can't really learn it in, in, a, in, a, in a college classroom. You got to go out, you got to be in the trenches. And I feel that it's just taken a lot of, that whole learning process away from the young people that are up and coming within this industry. No, that's right. Especially at like a lower scale. Like when, you know, we've worked in the service industry, like me and my wife and like, you have some people that just become a manager, but you don't know the other jobs that need to be done. And that's probably why people love working with you. And Steven loved working with you for five films. It was that you knew what to get done because you'd done those other jobs and you can relate to people. Well, the secret, the, the real secret to, to a, a good filmmaker is you got to be a problem solver. And the only way you can learn problem solving is you have to have witnessed it and been in that situation and coming up through the ranks. And, and I mean, I worked with God, I worked with Scorsese and Spielberg and Peckinpah and Blake. And I mean, I worked with, Friggin' Cameron or Haskell Wexler and Laszlo Kovacs and Vilmo Zygmunt and Harry Stradling. I mean, I, I worked with like the top guys. Yeah. And and I'd seen every I've seen every situation that could possibly come up on a film set. 
and I know how it's solved. I know how to approach it. These kids that are coming out of film school that want to start at the top, they're constantly backing themselves into corners. I, I can't tell you how many times, because I try to do like three student films a year, work with students, just go in and kind of oversee oh, cool. them. And I, I do lighting seminars for Mole Richardson and, and for the AFI. And, and um, you know, I'll, I'll be watching them and, and, and giving them advice. And I'll say, you're backing yourself into a corner. You're going to end up losing more time if you do this if you go this route and you go and approach it this way you're going to gain time and it's going to look a lot better and 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 they look at you like well, i don't understand why i mean this is going to work okay okay i'm just i'm just giving you some advice do it your way and then we'll see what happens and inevitably they back themselves into a corner and they realize oh my gosh i'm not going to be able to use this and uh, you know it's you have to be a problem solver to be a good filmmaker. That's the bottom line. And yeah. the only way to learn that is to come up through the ranks. Well, that's awesome, Don. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. If you need anything else, holler. Awesome, man. Have a great day. Uh, take care. Bye-bye. Man, Don had some amazing stories. Just the people that he worked with. And it was really cool at the end. Sometimes I have to I ask these questions and you don't know where you're going to get and that story from Newhart was really cool, exposing the film, but luckily it was wrapped so tightly it didn't do any damage. So yeah, so that was Don. Check out his IMDb so you can see all the amazing films that he's worked on. And now your homework. It's on Amazon Prime. It's Munchie. He's the director of photography, cinematography, and the voice of Dom DeLuise is Munchie, the creature. I don't know what you want to call it, but... It is a very, very interesting film that did so well, as you heard Don put it, that they made a sequel, which I'm trying to get somebody for the sequel because the sequel to the sequel. But uh, yeah, because it's just wild. So watch it. You There's a young Jennifer Love Hewitt in the movie. She goes by Love Hewitt. So yeah, watch the movie. Don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast. Follow us on all social media. At Sequels Only. And check out our new website, sequelsonly.com. Good night.